Hello, and welcome to the Faith and Sustainability Podcast. I am your host, Leonard Robinson. This podcast is a project of the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Atlanta, Laudato Si Initiative. On this podcast, we will go on a journey to explore the role of the Catholic Church and other faiths impact in sustainability. Experts, theologians, and thought leaders will share their opinions and perspectives as guests on the podcast. Sustainability focuses on meeting the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their needs. The concept of sustainability is composed of three pillars, social, environmental, and economic, also known as people, planet, and prosperity. This podcast is made possible with the generous funding and support from the Archbishop's Annual Appeal, Georgia Interfaith Power and Light, Rutherford Seidel, Jamie Lanier, the Vaudemont Family Foundation, the Sustainable Environmental Management Company, St. Francis Services, and the time, treasure, and talent from several individuals. The Faith and Sustainability Podcast is coming to you from the Archdiocese of Atlanta Chancery in Smyrna, Georgia. Joining us on the podcast is Susan Varlamoff. Susan is a mother, grandmother, biologist, author, lecturer, and master gardener who has worked for over 40 years protecting the environment as an activist. She also serves in the Laudato Si Initiative team and is a co-author of the 2016 Laudato Si Action Plan and editor of the 2022 version of the Laudato Si Action Plan. She is the author of Sustainable Gardening for the Southeast and the Polluters, A Community Fights Back. As a young mother, Susan mobilized her community of Eden Prairie, Minnesota to shut down a toxic landfill two blocks from her home in a precedent-setting case. She also leads the creation care team for St. John Newman in Lilburn, Georgia. Susan has been a driver for the Archdiocese of Atlanta's Laudato Si Initiative, which embraces integral ecology and hears the cry of the earth and the cry of the poor. Welcome to the Faith and Sustainability Podcast, Susan. Thank you very much, Leonard. Tell us more about the Eden Prairie case. Sure, sure. It was pivotal in my life because it really um, led to the direction uh, I would take as far as a career. Well, in 1991, I moved into a beautiful neighborhood in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. That is the area where Laura Ingalls Wilder um, lived with her family. My family was, we had uh, three children, my husband and I, the youngest was four, and we learned six months after moving there that there was a landfill just two blocks from our home. And the company called us to a meeting and said they would like to expand it and double its size. After the landfill company announced this news at the town hall meeting, several of the neighbors, several of the men decided to form a group to oppose the expansion. We were totally totally outraged. And they said, we are not going to let this go unopposed. So after meeting for several years during the day, the men essentially burned out because they had families to feed. They had to go to their jobs. And then um, they detected contaminants in the groundwater beneath the landfill in some of the wells that people were drinking from. And at that point, um, my son was a little bit older, my four-year-old, and I said, you know, I've really got to try to get involved. And there there was no line behind me as far as, you know, people wanting to take this on or people willing to put in the, the effort. So gradually, by default, I became the leader of this case and ended up, you know, um, working with Greenpeace and in, in, uh, demonstrations, lobbying in the state and federal legislatures, involved in a court case where I testified, raised money, hire a lawyer. I went to get a master's degree and used one of my um, research projects in the case, worked with the city council, state, and federal legislators 
we um, brought in expert witnesses and many others. And interesting, my pastor, Father Tim, was a mentor to me. And uh, as I say, with angels on my side, we won the case after eight and a half bitter years of battling. And as a result, the community gave me the key to the city. So I chronicled this story in my book, The Polluters, A Community Fights Back, so that others could learn how to defend themselves from companies like this. Wow. So that's that's quite a bit, being a young mother and, uh, you know, leading a community and doing all those things. Wow, that's that's something. So that's, is, that's what got you started in your activism. That's correct. And that led to my career. And I, when I was, um, I actually moved away from the community several years before it was finished. And I went to earn a master's degree and realized this is the area I wanted to um, pursue. And it was in environmental pollution control. Beautiful, um, beautiful. Well, you know, share some more of your background. This is exciting stuff. Share some more of your background with us. Well, I grew up in New Jersey. I'm the oldest of five children. But unfortunately, when I was 14 years old, my sister died of acute leukemia, which was just a blow to my family. And we had no idea why. And in my second book, Sustainable Gardening for the Southeast, I learned that households where DDT was used in great quantities, which was ours, we did not know that, you know, the repercussions of that, the damage it could cause. Rachel Carson had ne- not yet come out with her book. But I learned that studies showed that in households where it was used in great quantities, there was a much higher rate of leukemia in children. So that fact drives my work every day. No one should suffer the pain that my family experienced, losing a daughter, a granddaughter, and a sister. So... As I said, I went on to earn a master's degree, came to Georgia, finished up my work at a Georgia Institute of Technology, and then began working at the Pollution Prevention Assistance Division at the Georgia Department of Natural Resources. Actually, before that, I acted as an expert witness in a case. This was incredible. The largest garbage company in the world. Uh, the second largest garbage company in the world is the one I fought in Minnesota. This was the largest garbage company in the world. Wanted to expand a landfill in an African-American neighborhood. In Atlanta, it was Senator David Scott's neighborhood, Mm -hmm. and he finally persuaded me to testify as an expert witness in front of the Senate and Natural Resources Committee in the legislature. He was trying to put a bill through and needed my technical support. Incredibly, we won the case. But when I went on with my job at the Department of Natural Resources, um, one of my colleagues said, Susan, representatives of both those uh, garbage companies have gone to the boss and said, fire her. And my boss said, no. He said, she's such a great worker. And then one day he came to my office and said, I have to ask you to resign. Wow. And I was devastated because I had gotten two promotions in three years and I had no clue. And as with the heart of a Catholic girl thinking that doing well was the right, you know, would would not result from these kind of repercussions. I was not very savvy in the real world. So I did leave. I had to leave, of course, my job. Gratefully, gratefully, um, I had worked at the University of Georgia's Research and Education Garden in pollution prevention, and they hired me. Incredibly, my former boss gave me a grant to work for one year. Then I received an EPA grant for two years, and I realized I had to change my focus of my work. So I went from garbage to gardening. (laughs) So I developed best management practices for urban gardeners to reduce the use of uh, chemicals because those chemicals were washing off into the landscape and they were having fish kills in Atlanta uh, rivers. So anyway, that got me uh, started in this area. 
the materials that I produced were so popular. For example, that in Gwinnett County, an extension workshop, 100 people showed up on a snowy night. And this was before plows. Eventually, that led me to my second book, Sustainable Gardening for the Southeast, because 70% of the people we surveyed in Georgia wanted to learn more about gardening to protect the environment. So from garbage, garbage to gardening, what else did you do at the uh, uh, University of Georgia? Many, many things. Um, But the one thing I'm very proud of is I pulled the faculty together into the Georgia Initiative for Climate and Society. Those faculty that were working on climate change, they were each working in their silos. And I thought if we could bring all that expertise together, they could, you know, leverage that and get better grants. And they did. After that, uh, the Georgia Climate Project took place, which involved all the research institutions with faculty working on climate change, which eventually led to Drawdown Georgia, which is the only uh, one in the country and I think phenomenal. So that is one of the things I'm very, very proud of uh, having started. What is the Archdiocese of Atlanta Laudato Sea Action Plan and who is it made for? Basically, the the idea that I had, um, I had found out that Pope Francis was coming out with an encyclical, an environmental encyclical, at a climate change meeting in Washington, D.C., and that this would be a really important document. And so um, I asked my pastor, Father Sonny, to speak with um, Wilton Gregory to see if I could some way work with the Pope. This is really naive. Maybe I could, I don't know, review it or who knows. But anyway, I did get an audience with uh, Archbishop Wilton Gregory, and he laughed. He said, Susan, this is an inside job. And he said, Apparently, they have a pontifical scientific academy, and they draw the tremendous scientists, by the way. I met one of them. So they would be doing that, but he said, what we really need is an implementation plan for this encyclical, and is that something you'd be interested in doing? And I said, well, yes. I mean, I work in communications outreach at the University of Georgia. So um, I called my good friend, uh, Rob McDowell, who's a Catholic geologist, and um, said, would you like to do this with me? And he said, yes. I thought maybe I had heard wrong, so I repeated that. (laughs) He said, yes, again. And I said, oh, wow, this is exciting. So anyway, we waited for that to come um, online. It was four in the morning. Uh, Let's see that it was in June 2015, and the two of us downloaded it, quickly read it, and we began working. So our intention for the um, audience was basically parishes, schools, families, communities, and to have actions in um, various difficulties from easy, moderate to advanced that anyone can do, no matter their time or resources. And so we decided also to make sure that it mirrored what Pope Francis had had in his encyclical. So we divided into 10 chapters and we talked about energy, water, waste, food, young people, many different things. And we also thought it should be for all faiths because we feel that an imam, a rabbi, a pastor has a captive audience before him or her, and that all faiths have sacred scriptures that call on their people to do something to care for creation. It's our life support system. So that was our intention, and we also know that Pope Francis is such a moral leader and respected in the world, and that he leads 1.3 billion people. Imagine if we could motivate, inspire, Mm-hmm. many, many Catholics to take this on. So that's that's what we're doing. That's great. I, I love, you know, I love that story of how, you know, you you wanted to go straight to the Pope. <laughs> and then from there, 
you, you went to the archbishop, and he, uh, he challenged you, and you met the challenge. Now, who did you work with to make the uh, Laudatus Action Plan a reality? Rob and I uh, wrote it together. He wrote half, I wrote half. Mm-hmm. And then um, what we decided to do, we, again, we're scientists, so we wanted to have it peer-reviewed. So, um, again, these are some of the scientists that were in the Georgia Initiative for Climate and Society. So we tapped, and I'm going to say their names because I owe them a tremendous debt. Dr. Marshall Shepard, Dr. Mark Reese, Dr. David Stukesbury, Rob and Pam Knox, and Stephen Valk, who uh, worked for the AJC as a reporter, did the initial editing. But they reviewed it. They gave their comments. Uh, Marshall even wrote a chapter on environmental justice. He is an African-American climate scientist who's uh, globally recognized. And they all felt the Pope was is such an important person, and that if he was doing this, they wanted to get behind him. So I owe a tremendous debt of gratitude to them, to the communications team here at the Archdiocese. They did a phenomenal job of editing, laying out the, uh, the, the words and the photographs. And then for my husband, Ivan, who took many of the photographs, he's always my first editor, <laughs> and um, I owe him a debt of gratitude that is enormous. Enormous. And I understand you had Catholics and non-Catholics uh, working on the uh, very first action plan. Yeah, that's a that's a good point, uh, Leonard. Um, the uh, scientists that worked on this action plan were both Catholic and non-Catholic, and they had um, and, and in different disciplines. Again, that says a lot for a guy like Mar- uh, Dr. Marshall Shepard. He's a Baptist, mm-hmm. and yet he felt this was so important. In fact, he's very good in communications, and he even wrote about this in Forbes magazine about the work we are doing together. And I understand that Ebenezer Baptist adopted the Laudato Sea Action Plan. Yes, they did. They did. They were enthusiastic about it, and... Um, in fact, they gave me an award for uh, environmental justice and the work I had done, uh, Laura Turner and I. So, um, yes, they did. And many other religions, Episcopalian, Methodist, are kind of following along and doing uh, their own plans. For example, David Stukesbury's Episcopalian. Mm-hmm. So he's working with his faith to do the same thing. We had no idea when we began this, and Archbishop Hartmeyer said this, what this would turn into. We just put our hearts, souls, science, and spirits into this, that it would become a model for other archdioceses across the country to emulate. I get calls from all over the country, and even a a priest in Indonesia contacted (laughs) us. He said um, he was taking a sabbatical in the United States, and he wanted to meet with the team in Atlanta that were working on implementing this action plan. So around a fire pit at St. John Newman during the pandemic— (laughs) <laughs> uh, we met with him and uh, shared shared uh, what we were doing and learned about what he was doing. It was a, a beautiful, beautiful evening. I understand the Pope has a copy of our action plan. He does. The first copy was given by Archbishop Wilton Gregory, mm-hmm. and the second copy was given by Ed Bastian, who was CEO of Delta Airlines. He had a private audience with Pope Francis, and his wife called Laura Turner to see if, you know, what they could bring to the Pope. And Laura contacted me and said, what about the new action plan? So they handed it to him. Yes. (laughs) That is great. Now, you know, as I look at the front cover, what was the uh, uh, origin of the design for the front cover of the action plan? I had seen this design by a sister out in Illinois, and um, it basically depicts... It it's, looks like a watercolor of a cracked earth with children of different um, cultures trying to push it together to try to hold it together. And 
it seems to me that these children um, represent the population on Earth, I believe, and on the smallest is a little uh, white blonde in the corner uh, because our Earth is, you know, African, Indian, Chinese make up the largest uh, portion of the population on Earth. And um, I thought that was so beautiful because what we're trying to say in this action plan is it's not just for the United States, it's for the world, and it's for the world's children. Yeah, you know, and as I look at the picture, I get different interpretations. It looks like the children are trying to hold the earth together to keep it from cracking. And then also, it looks like they're embracing it, saying, okay, with a lot of love, we can, you know, we can kind of push it together. All right, what's different about the updated action plan from the uh, original? The updated action plan, uh, first of all, has additional actions. As we began implementing this in the various parishes, many new ideas came up. For example, in my parish, I brought together my team and I said, well, so here are some ideas in the action plan. What do you think we should do? And one woman said, I am just sick and tired of the garbage after these big events. We've got to do something. She said, we've got dishes. Why aren't we washing dishes? Well, we never thought of that. Mm -hmm. So that is in the second action plan. So we've got a number of new ideas like that. Also, uh, we did this action plan during COVID. (laughs) So we found out we had to come together in different ways. We got good at Zoom. We (laughs) got really good at Zoom. Go to meeting. (laughs) So instead of traveling like across the state to attend meetings, we can go by Zoom. So that is one way we, one of the things we decided we could um, add. And then we also put some of our successes. My parish, for example, has been doing this for six years. Mm -hmm. So we had some successes as well as other parishes. So basically in the energy chapter, we make these recommendations uh, change out the light bulbs, etc. And if you do, wow, you can bring down your electric bill by maybe 50%. So, and, and what that represents in dollars. So we put a number of those um, successes in there to encourage people to to do these things. And, and the money they save, the money the parishes and schools save, they can put it towards ministries and other things without having to ask for, ask for more money. So that's a, a, another good point as well. Well, how can, how can our audience and our listeners uh, get a hold of the Laudato Si Action Plan? Oh, it's on the um, Archdiocese website. They can just put in the search uh, action plan, Laudato Si Action Plan, and it'll pop right up. So we, we've got it. We've got the physical copy and we've got the online copy. That, that's really good. That's really good. So you've done all this. This is your background. You've done all this. You've done all this. Now you decided to take on the Laudato Si Initiative newsletter. Tell us about that. Well, we, we are up to about... 40 uh, parishes and schools involved with the um, doing this work, implementing the action plan. And uh, we thought this could be a great communication tool and also an inspiration tool to highlight various parishes and schools and what they are doing to spotlight leaders and um, how they are managing creation care teams and to put in some resources, like how do you be in a creation care team? And so if we had some maybe online links where they could read about that, um, that would be helpful. And so you attend St. John Newman, right? Yes. Okay. What is your parish doing environmentally? I'm going to sit back. It sounds like it's going to be a lot. (laughs) We've got pages, (laughs) but I won't bore you with all the details. We're trying to mobilize everyone and all the different ministries, you know, from the Knights of Columbus who clear the the, um, back landscape there so we can put in raised beds to raise vegetables for the St. Vincent de Paul food pantry. 
Um, we've got the beautification team, the landscape team, working of 20, working without using pesticides. Um, they weren't convinced it would work, but now we put down newspaper and cardboard after we pull the weeds, newspaper and cardboard on the soil, and then we put on mulch. So um, that is, um, that is, and so no pesticides. Uh, we are doing an awful lot in energy reduction we have changed out all the bulbs to LEDs. We have set back thermostats. We have uh, upgraded the HVAC systems. We have essentially reduced by what we've done, uh, reduced the cost of running the administration building from 2014 by 60 percent, and by the in the church 31 percent. It's enormous, enormous. Um, we have a very good Paul Hayes business manager who's on top of all this. Water we have saved. 46% since 2014 also in the administration building in the church, 41%. And basically he's right on top of fixing leaks. He looks at the, um, the meter every single month. And if he sees anything that's out of whack, he's there on the phone trying to get things fixed. And he put in low flush toilets and, and um, low flush faucets. And that has done enormous amount. We also were into reducing waste and recycling. So we uh, put 50% less garbage in the landfill. We recycle everything from votive candle holders to toner cartridges to cardboard paper and just about almost everything we can possibly. And um, again, that's an effort of everyone, including the school. I talked about the, uh, the gardening team. The one thing they do also is they use native plants that will attract a lot of honeybees and pollinators and various native plants. So um, that has been a great thing. Our landscape is really very, very beautiful. In fact, I had um, a Master Garden Garden Tour that I organized a few years ago, and I put the church landscape on so people could see, mm -hmm. you know, what a group of volunteers could do, many of them master gardeners, um, to make this public space so lovely. A landscape company kept dumping mulch, piles of mulch, in the parking lot, and it was becoming really a problem. So we said, okay, we're going to have mulch day. So we told everybody in the parish, come with your kids, bring your wheelbarrows and uh, pitchforks. Mm -hmm. So we mulched the entire landscape in, in one day with uh, 50 people, from very young children to older people. Uh, we had, it was uh, the Hispanic and the, uh, you know, English-speaking community. It was a great day. <laughs> We've also had retreats. We've had... Um, video series. We hosted the Green Mass. Um, so we, and I've had tips in the bulletin about what you can do to recycle at home and all of that. So, and the last thing we're trying to do now is solar uh, because that's so visible. And so we are on track to put a solar array on the administration building and uh, God willing, we'll be able to raise all the funds. That, that is a lot. It sounds like St. John Newman is like the marquee. That's where we will send everybody to look at. This is what you can do as well. Well, you're a busy person, a very extensive background. Why do you do what you do? How does your faith shape your perspectives of sustainability? Considering my work and activism, I forgot to mention that when I was a, um, right out of college, I worked in climate change at Columbia University where I met my husband. Oh, okay. And um, they were looking at past climates to predict future climates, and they felt that we were coming into an ice age. Well, they've changed their thoughts. Um, the principal investigator on the grant, Dr. Wally Broker, has been pleading his entire life. He first turned the, uh, gave the uh, climate change its name. And so um, with all that I've done, m morality, I feel in doing something. I'm a mother and grandmother. 
I see the Catholic Church under the leadership of Pope Francis really uh, a, a tremendous opportunity. And I guess I've been um, encouraged because of so many people wanting to support this with their money and their expertise. And, and also the, the crisis I experienced as a child with my sister. It's something, how could I not do this? I felt a moral imperative to do it. Um, so, and, and that I have expertise in, in activism. I basically am dedicating the rest of my life to this work, using the skills I've honed over, uh, you know, all these years. I'm a speaker, I'm a writer, I, I'm a scientist. And so that's how, and, and my faith gives me the peace and the moral anchor to do this work. And for me, it's imperative. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, Susan, now give our listeners a call to action. I say what Pope Francis says, or the question he's asked, what kind of world do we want to leave our children? The world's children depend on us to leave them a habitable planet, a place where they can enjoy the beauty of nature, breathe clean air, drink clean water, eat food from untainted land. So I say, please do something every day to make it livable for them. And we've got lots of ideas in the action plan. <laughs> Tomorrow's children are counting on us today to, to do something. Yep, yep, we're, 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 we don't own anything. We just pass it on to the next generation. This is beautiful. I'm really impressed with your background. I thought I knew you, and there's a lot of stuff I just learned today. I don't know if you're more active then or more active now, but we uh, we really, really uh, appreciate that. So thank, thank you for coming on the show. Susan Varlamov, mother, grandmother, wife, activist, lecturer, biologist, uh, you know, colleague, editor. Uh, she she wears so many hats, and she's you know she she's you can I wish you could just see the fire in her eyes. Susan, thank you so much for you know coming onto the Faith and Sustainability podcast. You've been listening to the Archdiocese of Atlanta Faith and Sustainability podcast from the Chancery at the Archdiocese in beautiful Smyrna, Georgia. On behalf of those that make this podcast possible, I am your host Leonard Robinson. Meet me next week on the corner of Faith and Sustainability. May the Lord be with you. The preceding podcast is a production of the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Atlanta. Copyright 2023.